0: This is your first time with us. Uh, just catch you up to speed. We're in the middle of a series about knowing God, and today specifically, we're going to be talking about knowing Jesus, knowing the Son. What that means to us practically, and what kind of uh, what kind of identity we get by hooking on to that kind of a person. So we're going to get right into it. I'm going to read to you the entire chapter of Colossians, chapter two. So bear with me. We'll get through this, and then we've got. A couple really um, great points to get through on it I wish you could know how much I have struggled in prayer for you and for the church at Laodicea and for my many other friends who have never known me personally this is what I have asked God for you that you would be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love and that you will have the rich experience of knowing Christ with real certainty and clear understanding for God's secret plan now at last made known is christ himself it's a person in him lie all hidden lie hidden all the mighty untapped treasures of wisdom and knowledge i'm saying this because i'm afraid that someone may fool you with smooth talk for though i am far away from you my heart is with you happy because you are getting along so well happy because you are strong in faith in christ And now, just as you trusted Christ to save you, trust him too for each day's problems. Live in vital union with him. Let your roots grow down into him and draw up from him nourishment. See that you go on growing in the Lord and become strong and vigorous in the truth you were taught. Let your lives overflow with joy and thanksgiving for all he has done. Don't let others spoil your faith and joy with their philosophies, their wrong and shallow answers built on men's thoughts and ideas instead of on what Christ has said. Just a quick note. This one's free. Uh, Our faith is built on a historical fact. All other beliefs are built on creative philosophies that are not rooted in truth. For in Christ there is all of God in a human body. So you have everything when you have Christ. And you are filled with God through your union with Christ. He is the highest ruler with authority over all other power. When you came to Christ, he set you free from your evil desires, not by a bodily operation of circumcision, but by a spiritual operation, the baptism of your souls. For in baptism, you see how your old, evil nature died with him and was buried with him, And then you came up out of death with him in a new life because you trusted the word of the mighty God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead in your sins and your sinful desires were not yet cut away. Then he gave you a share in the very life of Christ. For he forgave all your sins and blotted out the charges proved against you the list of the commandments which you had not obeyed. He took this list of sins and destroyed it by nailing it to the cross, Christ's cross. In this way, God took away Satan's power to accuse you of sin, and God openly displayed to the whole world Christ's triumph at the cross where your sins were all taken away. So don't let anyone criticize you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating Jewish holidays and feasts or new moons, New moon ceremonies or sabbaths. For these were only temporary rules that ended when Christ came. They were only shadows of the real thing of Christ himself. Don't let anyone declare you lost when you refuse to worship angels, as they say you must. They have seen a vision, they say, and know you should. These proud men, though they claim to be humble, here's another one, it's $5, I'm charging you for this. If somebody says that they're humble, they're not have a very clever imagination, but they are not connected to Christ, the head to which all of us who are his body are joined. For we are joined together by his strong sinews, and we grow only as we get our nourishment and strength from God. Since you died, as it were, with Christ, and this has set you free from following the world's ideas of how to be saved, By doing good and obeying various rules, why do you keep right on following them anyway? Still bound by such rules as not eating, tasting, or even touching certain foods. Such rules are mere human teachings. For food was made to be eaten and used up. Amen. These rules may seem good, for rules of this kind require strong devotion and are humiliating and hard on the body. But they have no effect. When it comes to conquering a person's evil thoughts and desires, they only make him proud. The first thing that I want to look at with you all is what happens to us when we walk with the Son, when we accept Christ's sacrifice on the cross, and we say, yep, that's mine, you get a new identity. Right off the bat... Let's buy that car. New identity. Why is this so special to us? Well, I want to just talk about identity in general from a whole world standpoint. Every generation, every human being that's ever born strives to find out what am I here for? What is my identity? And we find those identities in all kinds of things, whether it's our experiences, abuses done to us, or who our family is, who my mom and dad are. That defined, That gives me my identity. Um, if you are, have the... Physical prowess of an incredible athlete and you're able to accomplish all these mighty feats in the sport that you play or maybe you're a very savvy Sophisticated businessman who is very successful and you glean your identity from these things and And in things words that are said over you words that you've said over your own self You can believe those things and they set your identity and I want to say this I hope to God that nobody rests in those things because they're temporary they fade your parents die. Your body diminishes. If you are really proud and you get your whole identity from your intellect and your academic achievements, what happens when your mind fades? What is your identity now set in? Something that's being pulled and snatched away from your hands. And this is a very serious problem that maybe a lot of us don't really take seriously. And I had a friend who was very gifted in his athletics, and those things were stripped from him, and now he's just a devastated human being just Finding, trying to find his identity. What am I now? And it's gonna to happen to all of us. Whatever it is you put you your identity in, I want to say Christ is a more long-lasting, everlasting, permanent source. It's better than whatever you had it in before. So Christians struggle this with this as well. Maybe when calamity and strong circumstances come at us it really truly exposes whether our roots really went down deep into christ and actually sucked the nourishment out of him and actually are drawn it out of him that's what hard times do they expose that so i've got a list here um, that i think it's not comprehensive and you're not going to find everything that you that you could have put your identity on But it's going to just be a list of what the old identity is. And then we're going to look at a list of what Christ can do. But let's read this first. First, for in baptism, you see how your old evil nature died with him and was buried with him. And then you came up out of death with him into a new life because, and this is it, you trusted the word of the mighty God who raised Christ from the dead. The words you trust set your identity. Here's what may have defined you or is currently defining you now. Look at that list. Imperfect, sinner, insecure, addicted. Maybe some of us are addicted to substances and we can't break the chain or the addiction. We are still held by it. I want to say that that list, if you think that those things are true of you, they are. If you think I've been abandoned, left by my family, I've, I've got nothing, I'm, I'm stupid, then that is true of you. And what I want to say is I hope that you don't want that to be true of you anymore because this list here is what God says of you. Do you want that? Is this list better than that list? And if this list is true, I walk around, maybe you don't know me, but if you do, I walk around chock full of confidence. And I'm like, man, life is awesome. You ask me how I'm doing, I'm living the dream because that list is true of me. Not because of anything that I am naturally in myself. All of that is garbage. The the things that were naturally what were me is on that old list. But Christ has given me a new identity established and rooted in him unchanging. Do you believe that about yourself? I want to ask the serious question. When you go home and you know when you've had hard times, is that list more true or is that list more true? Because it is yours if you want it. And you can keep that old list if you want it. I pray to God you don't. I ask that today you consider that that list is actually more accurate, that you want that one. It will require you going, Christ, your king. And if that's what you give to me, fine. I'll take it. But those words can be either true or false based on what you believe. One of the things that I love when I read scripture and I, I look at Paul and what God did with Paul, he can do with you right now. Paul was a Pharisee, which is uh, in, the, in the Jewish faith, it was a particular sect that was so performance-driven on what they accomplished in obeying the rules, and not just God's rules, but their own rules that they made up and heaped up on it. And they were so proud because they were doing so good, and it made them feel superior to other people. And God took that heart and said, now your focus is going to be on everybody who's not like you. I'm gonna take your focus off of the Jewish people and you're gonna go into all the rest of the world and preach the good news to them. He takes a heart that is so inward torn and pulls it and makes it outward loving. He does the same thing with Peter, the apostle. He says, you're a rock. He was anything but a rock if you've not read him. If you haven't read his life, go read Mark. It's just all about him screwing it up and being a coward and turning his back and then you see this dramatic change where he is so boldly proclaiming the gospel to people and he's got the confidence because God gives it to him. He struggles. <laughs> he, he does mess up a little bit even after that. But aren't you encouraged by that too? That he can start it in you now and you can grow in it by those roots going deeper into Christ? That's a beautiful thing. I'm encouraged by Peter's screw-ups because I'm a screw-up. It's amazing. It's amazing. Do you want that list, that new one that says that you're a a prince in his family? You're one of his children. When he looks at you, he sees the perfect record of Jesus. Man, that's my identity? One thing you cannot do with everything I've just said is ascend to it intellectually, just by reason. Go, yep, now I get it. The only way that this is going to be true for any one of us is it has to be an experience of love. It has to be eternity breaking into time and it hits you. And it could be a moment in your kitchen where you're just hearing something said in the background and then God, boom, you're my son. But you have to want that. You have to say, I want that identity. C.S. Lewis said something so brilliant, I have to quote him. He said, if you aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth, you get neither heaven nor earth. So I want to say something when it comes to identity like this. If you aim your obsession at not finding out who you are, but finding out who God is, you get your identity thrown in the mix. But if you aim at you, you get neither him nor you. What do you want?
1: So first, he gives us a new identity. Secondly, he gives us a new record. Amen. I am so grateful that Jesus gives me a new record here in that chunk in Colossians. We see, for he forgave all your sins and blotted out the charges proved against you. The list of his commandments, which you had not obeyed. He took this list of sins and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. In this way, he took away Satan's power to accuse you of sin. Amen. Amen. Jesus erases Satan's power to accuse you. And I don't know where you are and what you believe, and maybe it seems wild to believe, like, okay, God, maybe. Satan, really? You believe in Satan? The scriptures say that we have an accuser, and that he stands before the throne of God hurling accusations at us. But Jesus stands in front of us if you have accepted his sacrifice on the cross and he takes those accusations and he nailed them to the cross once and for all. I'm going to take a little bit of time to talk about guilt and shame because I think that's something that we all wrestle with. Even after coming to Christ, guilt and shame can be, even though we know it cognitively, like, okay, I see that scripture that he died for my sins, but I still sometimes feel that accusation, that condemnation, that shame that comes from my past and the things that I've done wrong. So I'll give you a definition because sometimes we use the words interchangeably, but they are different. So guilt implies a failure of a moral code, a moral law, that you've actually done something wrong, right? Morally or maybe even legally, but it implies that you are guilty of doing something wrong. Shame is a little bit different. Shame implies a failure of your own standards or your own view of yourself. So feeling bad, feeling ashamed, feeling dirty or less than because of a standard I had in my mind or because I expected more from myself or, but not necessarily because you've actually done something wrong. So the way these two work together, the healthiest way they work together, how they should work together to lead you to repentance and change is that they should go together. So I feel bad for doing something wrong. Okay, I did something wrong and I feel bad. That attitude, guilt and shame working together, leads me to repentance, leads me to change, leads me to knowing that I need a savior because I have done wrong. But you can have two extremes as well. You can have guilt without shame. That says, I don't feel bad for doing wrong. And if you want an example of this, just take a look at our culture, right? That sums up our culture right now, which is do whatever you want. Don't let anyone tell you anything's wrong. Live however. Don't feel bad. The reason you feel bad is because you're not as evolved as the rest of us who realize, you know, we should have no standards. That's guilt without shame. You are guilty of breaking moral law, but you don't feel bad about it. Or you can have the other extreme, which is shame without guilt. And this is, I feel bad about something that isn't wrong well, I haven't done anything. An example of this would be sometimes we feel shame about the families we come from. You feel ashamed, you feel embarrassed from, by that. And sometimes maybe you feel shame about not making enough money, the college you went to, not going to college at all. Maybe you found a way to make money and provide for your family. It didn't t- take a college degree, but every time people are standing in a circle asking, where did you go to college? You feel a little bit ashamed to say, well, I didn't. Could be some people feel shame about their race, about the, the town they grew up in. There's all kinds of things we can be burdened with shame, even though we haven't done anything wrong. And so when people feel guilt and shame, the main way they try to handle that and deal with that is to turn up the noise, turn up the distraction. Let me just keep myself so busy that I don't feel the guilt that I feel wrestling around in my spirit. So I don't feel the shame. I don't have those shameful thoughts making me feel condemned and embarrassed. And so we up the distractions in our life. We work more. We stay busy with friends. We have Netflix on our phone and on every TV in the house and on an extra computer at work because I need constant distraction, constant noise coming in. So I don't hear that accusing voice in my mind. I don't feel the guilt that I normally feel. But to me, it's a futile pursuit because eventually you have to try to sleep. Eventually you have to keep upping the numbness, upping the distractions to silence that voice, to silence that feeling. And I know this struggle. For whatever reason, guilt and condemnation and shame have always been something I have wrestled with. It's always been one of the biggest parts of my testimony that I know that God has forgiven me of my sins my shortcomings, but I would hear that accusing voice, that shameful whisper saying, if people really knew what you did, if people knew what those thoughts you were thinking, if they knew what you did 15 years ago, they wouldn't like you. You wouldn't be a leader right now. You would have no influence. You're not a good Christian. I know that struggle. I know having to fall asleep with the TV on so that I don't hear my own thoughts. I know that struggle. But here we have in Colossians and all throughout the scriptures. The beautiful miracle of Jesus. And that is that he once and for all died on the cross. A life altering never the same again moment. That if you accept that work that he did for you, you. Your life is never the same. He gives you a new record. All of that guilt that I was really guilty of. All the mistakes, all my sin, all my failures, done, nailed to the cross. And Satan has no more power to accuse me or hold against me or my own sins don't cry out against me because Jesus has done it. And if we would believe that, if we would believe the power of those scriptures, the truth of that uh, of that event in history, that it's done, it's taken, it's taken care of, and so Jesus deals with our guilt. There's no sacrifice you can lay on the altar to absolve your sins. It is done. He did it for us. Amen. So Jesus deals with our guilt. Then what do we do with shame? Because shame isn't necessarily connected to something we've done wrong. But we know that Jesus has dealt with the things we've done wrong. Shame It's vanished, it's it's kicked out of our hearts when we are fully known and fully loved. Shame can't live there. Shame vanishes when you're fully known and fully loved. And what I mean by that is, don't have secrets. (laughs) Secrets are the holders of shame in your life. Because when people don't know, that's where that voice comes from. Ooh, if they knew, if they knew. You wouldn't be preaching up there. If they knew, secrets betray us. And so that's why you'll see all throughout Scripture, confess your sins one to another. Confess your sins one to another. Why? Because confessing to someone else is what brings me forgiveness? No. God dealt with that on the cross. That's done. I need to ask him for forgiveness of my sins. But confessing to someone else makes shame leave. It has no place to hide. There's no accusation and that accusing voice is gone. Because when it starts to say, wait, 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 if he knows, no, no, he does know. <laughs> he knows. I told him, I've said everything I could think of to say. <laughs> Every terrible thing I've ever done. And for my personality or my bend or my weakness, whatever it is, I, that, that is just how I've had to live. I've had to live a life where anytime I've After repenting of a sin or feeling guilty, I've had to confess it to my small group leader, to my pastor. And then when I got married, David got that um, lovely job (laughs) of hearing every time, waking him up in the middle of the night. i got to say this. I'm feeling really condemned. Calling him at work. And I'm so grateful for him. Because every time I've confessed sin that I knew I was forgiven for, but I felt condemned by. I felt shame. And even sometimes if that sin was against him. Every time he's responded with the same sentence after I've come out with what I need to come out with, he said, it's done, don't think about it again. It's over, it's behind you. And I'm so grateful for that because that has brought healing to me and allowed that accusation and shame to leave my life. And so I would like to say to you, if you're here married, if your spouse comes to you and says, I need to confess something, I I know I'm forgiven, but I'm wrestling with shame, I'm wrestling with condemnation, When they confess to you, whatever it is, you should be an avenue of restoration for them. Don't be another accusing voice in their life. And it can be tough. It's like, well, that sin is against me. How rude. You did that against me. Our sin is against Jesus. Our sin is against our Savior. And how did Jesus treat me when I came crawling in my sin to his throne? He forgave me. He said, it's done. I'll take it on me. I'll take the punishment you deserved. It's finished. And we should live under that banner of Jesus' words that says it's done, it's finished. So Jesus deals, removes our guilt and confession removes our shame and before we move on to to the last point singles I've I've had many singles come and ask me when do I share my testimony with this guy or girl I'm kind of interested in like when if it's too soon like maybe they won't consider me anymore or so maybe we should date first and my answer is this tell your testimony as early as you can Just say it. Just get it out there. Because if someone is not going to consider you because of your past, because you don't want to marry that person. You you don't want that person to be the one that you are confessing and, and, and ridding yourself of shame. You don't want that voice in your, you want someone who says, that was your past, Jesus dealt with it, it's done. I see your new identity. And I will help support you and get you the help and support or counsel or accountability that you need to keep moving forward in your new identity and new record with Christ. Amen. Our last point before we close is Jesus gives us a new command. A new command. The end of Colossians talks about all the rules. Since you died, as it were, with Christ, and this has set you free from following the world's ideas of how to be saved by doing good, by obeying rules, why do you keep right on following them anyway? They have no effect when it comes to conquering a person's evil thoughts and desires. They only make you proud. So the question is, after reading this, what are you going to do now that you don't have to do anything? Right? Because that's what the the Christian message is about. Jesus did it all. All we have to do is say, I accept what you did for me. But I'm not bringing anything to the table, really. I just have to bring my repentance. And so the gospel message, the freedom that comes with that, is that you don't have to do anything to be accepted and loved by God. But when you realize you have that freedom that I don't have to do anything, it makes you want to do everything for God, right? It's ironic because when I am walking in the absolute freedom that God won for me, that I'm fully known, fully loved, nothing I can do can change like Jesus has done in history. Then my heart rejoices at that, and it makes me want to be incredibly generous, or spend my time serving, or have radical mercy on other people. It makes your heart respond in that way because that is true freedom. Everything we need and long for, Christ has already possessed for us. So I don 't have to spend my life trying to collect and keep and receive. I need to receive I need to receive. I don 't need to do that. I have everything I need in Christ. And because I have everything I need, I can spend my life giving to other people. And radical grace, the transforming power of Jesus, should cause people in your life to ask questions like, how? How can you forgive your parents for hurting you after what they did to you? How can you forgive your abuser? How can you give away 40% of your income to churches and to charities? How do you live like that? How do you get your bills met? How do you spend so much time? Why do you spend so much time serving? Radical grace should cause those questions to be asked about us. Not because we're under a burden or a yoke to have to do these things, but because we are living in the absolute freedom that God won from us. That freedom that says, I don't, I'm free to be nobody because Jesus was somebody. I, because Jesus won, I'm free to lose. Because he was successful, I can be a failure and I don't have to worry about that because he already took my failures, my sins, everything. And he gives me his success, his forgiveness, his victory. And nobody can beat a person who isn't afraid to lose. You can't beat, nothing in this world can beat that person who's not afraid. I don't have to be afraid to lose because Jesus already lost for me. And he's already taken that failure, and he's given me his victory, so nothing can scare me. Amen. The new command that God gives us, if we're not under burdens and rules and regulations and performance and and good works, is this. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So we're not obligated to rules to following some, anything. We accept what Jesus did for us and we follow his new command, which is to love other people. Amen. I'm so thankful for that. I'm going to end with a a personal story. When I was in high school, I was a freshman. It was my first year in high school and I made a friend on the bus and she was pretty much the only friend I had. I, I don't have a super... Um, outgoing, look-at-me personality. I'm pretty reserved until um, I'm comfortable with you. So she was my one good friend when I started high school. And she started dating a boy, and I'll just call him Steve. And so I was kind of friends with Steve just through her. Uh, that, that's how I knew him. So he would eat lunch with us, and, you know, we'd walk the halls, meet up after school, whatever. And I felt impressed in my spirit. If you know what I'm talking about, when the Holy Spirit talks to you, you get— kind of like an unction, an idea that didn't come from me. And I felt like God was telling me to reach out to him because he was sad. And he didn't act sad. It wasn't like he walked around like, oh, life sucks. I mean, I couldn't tell he was sad, but I got the feeling, the sense that he was sad. And I felt the Holy Spirit saying, you need to reach out to him. Tell so him your testimony. Invite him to church. Something, and I kept putting it off. And I was like, no, 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 you no. Know, yeah, pretty shy personality, and to be honest, I was just afraid. Uh, I was afraid of what he would think. I was afraid of what my friend would think. Like maybe she'll think I'm hitting on him, and that's just weird. So maybe tomorrow. And I kept putting it off. And one Monday, I came to school, and my friend ran up to me, crying, and she said, "Steve killed himself over the weekend." devastated. I mean, suicide is devastating, of course, to everyone. If you know someone who's taken their own life, it's a a very traumatic thing to know that person was hurting that badly and thought that was the best solution for them. And so you've got that trauma, but then I was devastated further because I felt so guilty for disobeying the Holy Spirit and for being a coward. Because that's what I was. I was a coward. I was afraid of what he would think. I was afraid of being rejected. I was being selfish. And so I was, it took me, I felt guilty and condemned for that for a long time. But I got a newspaper that week and I looked up the obituaries and I found the obituary with his name and his surviving family members and just the little blurb that they say about him and I cut it out, and I laminated it, and I put it in my shoe every day before going to school, and I would put the obituary in my shoe, and I would go on about my day, because I'm like, I can't forget. I need to be reminded, and so I would feel that firm piece of plastic under my foot all day at school, and I was just like, I can't mess up again. I can't screw up. I can't disobey God. I can't. The stakes are too high. Like, that's my fault. Like, he's, gone forever. It's my fault because I was disobedient. And So every day I'd come home from school and I would throw my shoes in a big bin. There's six people in my family and all of our shoes were in one bin in the laundry room. So there were many more shoes than I have here. And so then one day I was getting ready for school and I pulled out my shoes and the paper was gone. I couldn't find it. And I was like, okay, maybe just fell out in here. I couldn't find it. I started to panic. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? I have to have it. I cannot forget. I can't screw up again. The stakes are too high. And as I'm digging through gross shoes in my laundry room, I felt God say, daughter, what are you doing? What are you doing? I have forgiven you. I've taken your cowardice. And I nailed it to the cross. I took your selfishness. I dealt with it on the cross. This is not the motivation I want you to have for serving other people. Your motivation should be to love people, not because you feel such shame, not because you're afraid of getting in trouble. Because you know, at the end of the day, if, you, if I'm motivated by guilt and regret and shame, I'm not loving them. It's still a selfish motive. I'm trying to absolve my own guilt and check off a list and make sure I don't screw up. That's not about them. It's still about me. I don't really love them. I'm just trying to make myself feel better or be more accepted. And so we can't let shame and guilt and regret be our motivation. It has to be love. Like Jesus gave us, our new command is to love other people. And if, and if my motivation to reach out to my neighbors, to my family that doesn't know God, to open a small group, if it's motivated out of love, then when people reject me, when someone leaves my small group, when people say, uh, I'm not interested, it keeps my heart right. Because if I'm, if I'm doing these things from the wrong motivation, then when someone rejects me, then it's like, well, screw you. Screw, I become offended, right? Look at all this I've done for you. I've served you the last year and you don't even care. My heart is not right because my motivation was self-centered. My motivation was absolving myself or making myself feel better, not motivated out of love. God said love me and love other people. Jesus said my burden is easy, it's light. I'm not burdened under all these rules and restrictions and all his disappointment. He took my failure, and it's not easy for me to tell that story. It's embarrassing because I was a coward. But he took that, and it was nailed to the cross, and it removed Satan's power to accuse me, to make me feel shame, because Jesus took the punishment I deserve for that. And so I'm gonna, if you all want to stand, we want to pray with you today. I've been thinking about you for weeks and praying for you. And I specifically, the three things we're praying for, a new identity, if you realize your identity is in the wrong things, freedom from guilt and condemnation. If you, if you know that, that feeling of being feeling shame, having accusing thoughts, I want to pray for you. I know that feeling. Let me pray for you. Or the third thing is if you need that burden lifted. We're not under legalism. There's no burden or pressure to perform. Our motivation should be love for others. So those are the three things. If you need prayer, come forward. We want to pray with you, some of the pastors. Because we want you to be set free. This is the price Jesus paid for us. He bought us total freedom. And so when we hold on to condemnation, we hold on to guilt and shame. When we wrestle with our identity, is it rooted in the right things? It's like what Jesus did for us. We're just leaving it in the corner. We're not living and walking in that power. So David's going to close us in prayer, and, and I'm going to come down there.
0: I think there's more. I think that uh, some of us are dealing harder with identity than we might be willing to admit. And guilt and shame and uh, legalism. And I want to just appeal to you one more time to come forward before God and everybody because he sees us anyway. He sees all my thoughts, all my inaction, all of my garbage. And I don't care if any of you guys see it because he sees it, right? So come and let us serve and pray for you guys so that you can finally be free of some of these things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you and what you say set the tone for all of reality. You spoke and the universe came into existence. And right now you speak an identity over your sons and daughters that is going to be so much better than what we held to before, because this is everlasting and true. Lord, we thank you that you set us free from guilt and shame because you can tear it to shreds. Because you were torn to shreds on the cross, we get to have our guilt and our shame melted away. And Lord, that those of us who slip into the legalism of trying to prove our worth to you like we could ever do that. I pray that you would release that, that person, those people, from the bondage of that slavery and release them to run in the grace and the forgiveness of our Father in heaven. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you in the name above all names, the authority above all authorities, in Jesus' mighty name we say amen.